We are in the final week of a sermon series titled Encouraging One Another in Faith, Love, and Hope. And this covers the entire letter of 1 Thessalonians. And so over the past couple months, we have walked through chapters 1 through 4. In addition, Pastor Allen, in one sermon, had covered the last days. And in that, he covered the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. So... I'm going to read the first paragraph of chapter 5, and then I'll save the last part, the final instructions, benediction for the end. So open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'll read the, the first paragraph. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for the helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So I want to take a step back because um, the sermon series has been going since February to now. And so there's been time that's passed. We talked about the last days. We had... Good Friday, we had Resurrection Day, there was all these great things that happened. Um, but the sermon series is titled Encouraging One Another in Faith, Love, and Hope. And that's how Paul began his letter. He said, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father our work of faith and labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what does he mention? Those three things, faith, love, and hope. And he actually closes his letter, which we just read together, with, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And so we see this bookend of God's armor, faith, love, and hope. And so when we think about these elements of the armor of God, faith, love, and hope, they direct our attention to Jesus Christ. He is the one who obtained our salvation by dying for us so that we may live in him, with him. Our identity as Christians is fully defined by Christ. We trust in Christ. 
we depend on his love to help us love one another. We hope for his return. And as Christians, we do not put our trust in our family. We do not put our trust in our country. We don't put our trust in our money or success. We put our trust in Christ. And so Paul is asking us to live expectantly, to expect his return. And so we learn of the day of the Lord will be sudden. Indeed, the last chapter of chapter 4, which we didn't read, tells us that our Lord Jesus will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God. It will occur in an instant. When you see lightning strike during a rainstorm, in that instant, you see the clouds forming. They're dark, ominous, Then you start seeing the rain fall, and you hear it. And what else do you hear? You hear the rolling thunder, and everyone's waiting for the lightning to strike. And when it does, it's sudden, just like our Lord will return suddenly. And when he does return, in an instant, in a flash, Will you be surprised? If we were the Thessalonians, our answer would be, no, we're not surprised. We live expectantly. But if I have to be honest with myself and with the church, I would be absolutely surprised and unprepared for his return. Because I wouldn't expect Jesus to appear in the sky descending from heaven. In our society today, most of us prepare to live until old age, when we are in our 70s or 80s. We are taught the rhythms of life, to go to school, to find love, to work hard, to save for retirement, and then to enjoy the fruits of our labor and collect seashells on a white sandy beach. In my generation, the millennials, and I'm on the older side of the millennials, so we are ambitious. We pursue the FIRE movement, which stands for financially independence, retire early. The rhythm of our life does not reflect what uh, what Paul is telling the Thessalonians. Be alert. Be ready for the Lord to return. We should pray without ceasing. Just as Abigail was saying just during the announcements, that how often are we actually praying versus talking about praying? So pray, church. Lord, help us live in the light you have given us. May our identity in Christ define us more than anything else in this world. If you're a believer, your identity is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me ask you a question. 
if your identity is rooted in Christ, then who is Jesus? If, if, the, if, if the person we're looking at, and we say, I identify with that person, and I know that person, well, then who is he? In Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, Simon Peter replied to that question that Jesus asked his disciples. And he replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him saying, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And so if your identity is rooted in Jesus Christ, then you would study him you would imitate him like the Thessalonians did because the Thessalonians in this letter did imitate Jesus and Paul and all the believers in that region, Macedonia and Achaia, saw them as that shining example. So, my fellow brothers and sisters, if our identity is in God the Father and in his Son, Jesus Christ, then it is true that we are children of light, children of the day. And that's from chapter 5, verse 5 that we just read. If you are of the night or darkness, then you are destined for wrath. Paul does this contrast of night and day, of darkness and light. And, but we, believers, are children of the day because we have obtained our salvation through Jesus Christ who died for us so that we, whether we are awake or asleep, might live in him. And so I just really want to emphasize that there is clear language of where our destiny is and what our identity is. Paul goes further by telling the Thessalonians that understanding their identity is also by referencing the armor of God. And so I'm going to ask us to turn to Isaiah 59 soon, but let me, let me just preface it by saying let's understand what the armor of God is. Paul uses a brevity of words in 1 Thessalonians. But those brief words he uses actually refer to probably the preaching he gave when he was there. Because he's referring to something that they're aware of. He's referring to the Old Testament. And so in the context of Isaiah 59, God promises his faithful servants many things. He, he promises them the inheritance of a holy mountain, the entrance to be in his presence, his dwelling with his people, healing, comfort, peace. These are things that he promises that draws us to him. And in response, he asks his servants, us, his church, to live by justice, righteousness, and holiness 
And holiness, again, is being set apart, to be set apart. And yet, today, the men, the women, then and now, we respond by defiling our hands with blood and sin. We aren't able on our own to live the righteous life, the holy life. And so God is actually displeased with that. He really wants us to live that life, which we can't on our own. And so because he sees no justice, he actually intercedes on our behalf. And that's the beautiful promise God provides. His own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. Let's read what God will do. So turn with me to Isaiah 59. We're going to read the second half of, uh, of verse 15 through 21. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment so they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives, and a redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my word that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. And so Isaiah is actually portraying God's coming as a warrior. God is interceding on our behalf. He is the God of wrath because he hates sin. Let me read, read that. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing. Church, God's judgment will come, but he's holding back his wrath and final judgment to allow man to repent. And repenting again is turning turning away. So holiness is being set aside or set apart. But when you're repenting, you're on a path destined for wrath, and you're turning from that path. He says, and Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, 
chapter 1. Allowing man to repent, to turn to God. Quote, from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This wrath idea makes us uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable to think about. I've been trained to think about the positives, the bright side, the silver lining and the dark clouds. That's, that's how we are trained in this society. But I think it's important, brothers and sisters, to unpack the characteristic that God reveals about himself in his word. And so we read both in Isaiah as well as 1 Thessalonians that there is a wrath to come. Can God be a God of wrath? At the same time, can God be a God of love? In Brian Russell's I Am book, which is a devotional study on the attributes of God, Brian writes, quote, the wrath of God may be defined as his intense righteous hatred of sin and everything that is opposed to his moral character, in particular, his holiness and justice. The Bible, therefore, in both the Old and New Testaments, reveals God as a God of wrath as well as a God of love. And so, church, do you, do you see that? Do you hear that? that God can both be a God of love and wrath. And do you see it in Isaiah and 1 Thessalonians? So going back to, first, uh, to Isaiah, who is it that God the Father sent to intercede on our behalf? Jesus. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus? Pray and ask for faith to believe. Ask God to increase that faith because that faith is actually a gift. It wasn't ours. We're not here to increase our own faith. But if we humbly go to God and ask for that faith, which is a free gift, and we ask him to increase it, then it is not our effort, but his effort that will increase it. And so how did Jesus intercede on our behalf? He lived a righteous life. He knew no sin. He was blameless. And yet we celebrated this day Last week, Good Friday, we celebrated where God poured his wrath onto Jesus for all of our past, present, and future sins. Think about that. Who celebrates wrath being poured out on somebody? Because in order to have a saving faith, you have to know what you're being saved from. And if you don't know that you're on this path of death on this path to receive wrath 
then you're not going to appreciate the death that Jesus suffered on our behalf. Because you're going to minimize the wrath that we deserve. And then three days later, church, a week ago, we celebrated the Lord's Day, Resurrection Sunday. Because the power is both the death and resurrection. It's not just the death. It's that he was resurrected and conquered death. We who were on the path of darkness, of being in the night, are now destined for those in Christ to be on the path of day, to be children of day, to be children of light, as Paul was writing. And so our relationship with God the Father, the relationship that Adam and Eve had in the garden, that will be restored. We will, church, face final judgment. And out of God's love and Jesus' death and resurrection, we are blameless before God. And so in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul reminds the church, again, to put on the breastplate of faith, love, and for helmet, the hope of salvation, to remind us what God has done for us. And that's important. To know what God has done for us. We know that we are not destined for wrath so long as we put our trust and ask for faith, saving faith in Jesus Christ, who died for us. If we entrust ourselves to Christ, the Son of the living God, then he who calls you will be faithful. It is him who is faithful. And so let me just conclude and wrap this series by reading Paul's final instructions to the Thessalonians, and then I'll close in prayer. And just remember that your identity, where is your identity rooted? And if you know where your identity is rooted, then as you see the saving faith of where you were going to where you are now going, you just have joy in that. And I just pray that you will have joy in that church. So let me read the last part, the final instructions and benediction. And let these words wash over your soul. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit.
Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every evil, every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Join me in prayer. Dear God, I thank you for just giving us this word, for giving us a word that really roots us in our identity and you, God the Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to believe that. Help us to have a clear sense of who you are so that when we identify with you, Jesus, that we also know who you are, that we study you, that we imitate you, that when people observe a life of those who are in Christ, the brothers and sisters here, that they would just be able to see the difference, that they would be able to see that you give rest to those who are restless, that our lives would be marked with humility, and that as we honor the elders who are above us, that as we admonish the idol, that you can see that we are patient with encouraging the faint-hearted. We are patient and gentle for those that are going through trials because we are imitating you, Lord. You who lived a blameless life and help us to just pray just as Colleen and Abigail and Alan are modeling to us. Pray unceasingly because that is vital to our life our life that is grounded in what you've done and who you are. And I just pray that this church can ask for the saving faith and for us to know that it is a free gift from you. A gift to believe. A gift to have you continue to grow it. To grow our desire for you and to sanctify us, to sanctify this church so that we may grow in Christ and grow into onto maturity. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day. Have a great week.